0: like, you can open up to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to catch a ben- many different scriptures and try to go through this uh, in a way that is uh, in the time that we have allocated here tonight um, to follow along and then we will see what the Lord has for us tonight. Uh, it's Good Friday. We send- say Good Friday because of the fact that our faith is based upon God the Son, God himself in the flesh, incarnated, came to this earth to die for your sins and for my sins. If he did not do that, then we would have to pay for our own sins. That means we'd be separated from God for eternity. We would be put in hell with the, uh, the devil and demonic forces. So, That stage set, this was a tremendous price that needed to be paid that we could never pay. Religion is not going to pay it. Just because you go to a religious kind of mentality does not pay for your sins. Just because your parents raised you as a Christian does not pay for your sins. The only one who could pay and pardon you for your sins is Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's by faith and faith alone in him and what he has done and what we're going to talk about today and on Sunday. That is what we that's who we put our faith in. That's who saves us. Do not be fooled by anything or anyone else would say. You're saved by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for you personally. Why? Because He loves you. Yes, He he loves you. And I hope that that message tonight will resonate to you. That the Lord loves you. And if you really deeply understand that, may we go deeper in our relationship for our love for Him in response. That's, That's what we're to have a response. When someone says, I love you, what is your response? And as we look in the message here, it was not easy for our Savior whatsoever. If you were able to join us on Wednesday and follow along, Jesus' disciples prepared the Passover uh, that evening. Well, that day and that Passover lamb and had their Seder meal all prepared in that upper room that Jesus had already orchestrated, as we know in the scripture, how he just always knew and how it would just give directions to the disciples. They knew just where to go and find the guy who was carrying the water who would take you to the place. And oh, it just happens to all put together. It's amazing when you really just simply read the scripture. How wonderful the Lord knows all things. And Jesus shared his heartfelt words and passion and and not only just words but actions with his disciples in that upper room if you remember he sat there and he shared from his heart the words that they needed to hear not only going into that uh that last supper but also after and when they went to the Mount of Olives he was just sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing for those who will just sit at his feet and listen And it's true to us as well. The more we will just sit at his feet and open up this word and allow his word to speak to us. He has so much for you. So much to share for you, to you and I. Not only did he share his words and share the meal, but he, he washed their feet and interceded on their, own, on their own behalf. Because of his love for them. After a meal, they arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus suffered in agony awaiting what was to come. While his closest disciples fell asleep. Couldn't stay awake. Couldn't, weren't in, wasn't tracking. And even in the midst of his agony and hurt and betrayal, Jesus knew that what he was about to be accomplishing on the cross was so far greater and outweighed anything else that mattered up to that point. It was absolutely the climax of that moment of his mission of coming and dying for the sin of the world. And later that night, Jesus was betrayed and arrested, as we know, by one of his inner circles, one of the inner guys, one of the close inner circle guys there, Judas Iscariot, with the wrong heart, betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders. And he would be turned over to Ananias, to an then to Caiaphas, and then to other religious leaders. And Jesus was completely humiliated and degraded and made into a laughing stock just before he experienced the worst pain imaginable on the cross and he would experience the separation from his heavenly father now the most difficult day of this passion week is this day that he goes to the cross it's the most impactful Christ's journey to the cross into the tomb To Christ's tomb, a turn, a treacherous and and acutely painful final hours leading to his death. It must be noted that the day of the week is not something we know much from the scripture specifically. And if you listen to me on the teaching on Wednesday, I alluded to it. Hopefully, if time-wise, I will try to expand on that, why I believe that the Passover was on Wednesday and the crucifixion going to the tomb was on Thursday to meet the, when you read the scriptures, of three days and three nights. Now, as we take a look at this, keep in mind this, again, the scripture, it does, if if some of you believe it's Wednesday or if it was Thursday or they believe today, Friday, Good Friday is when it happens. We traditionally um, celebrate on Good Friday this, this teaching. But we need to know that it occurred on a Passover. That we know for fact. As a model of the sacrifice of the perfect lamb that Jesus represented. And that he arose again on the feast of first fruits which was Sunday. That we know clearly in the scripture. And since he is the first fruit of the resurrection it is fine to hold a personal view. But unwise to become dogmatic about it as we celebrate the cross and the resurrection each and every day of our earthly life we're supposed to celebrate his death and resurrection of what he has done for us as His our savior each and every day not one time a year if you ponder on what he has done each and every day and bring back to memory of his sacrifice, but also his resurrection that we will celebrate on Sunday, that brings us closer to him and unites to him closer than anything else. As we come and do communion together, what unites us as brothers and sisters with a vast diversity in every aspect What unites us is the cross and resurrection, communion. Our Savior. We have the same Savior. But we see here in Matthew chapter 27, the crucifixion or Christ's tomb. We find as a remembrance, understanding how the Jewish day goes. A Jewish day is from sunrise to sunset. A Jewish night is from sunset to sunrise. So as we go through this, this is why I believe Thursday it is to meet the uh, key verses. And and again, I'm hoping to have time. I better speed up because I'm already losing six minutes here. You know, it's three hours to two hours. I'll try to shorten it tonight. It's Friday night. What else were you going to do, right? But according to the scripture, Judas Iscariot, the disciples, as we know in the scriptures here, finds themselves... Uh, puts himself in a, a, a you know a situation where if you let me just start reading because that's the best thing I'm going to do here. Verse 27, chapter 27, verse 1. I got to get to the scripture. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Verse 3. And Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been de- uh, condemned and with was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver of the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So it came to light that truly Jesus was innocent, but out of his emotions and out of his greed and everything else, he made a very bad decision of betraying Jesus. How could he have, uh, he could have repented. He says he's an innocent man. He could have repented, asked for forgiveness, and God would have forgiven him. But instead he he just the the devil just took him and just started spiraling down deeper. And as as uh, as it says in verse five, then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and to, and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the the price of blood. Now they're trying to be like some moral agents here oh this is not good this would be unholy for us to do that what do you, you think you just did giving a man 30 pieces of silver as it is and did it uh, so un. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we want to go down this path because I'll, I'll get on the rabbit trail a little bit but then they con- consulted together and brought within the potter's field to bury the the strangers and therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day but this was fulfilling of the prophecies in verse 9, he talks about spoken in Jeremiah, the prophet, the fulfillment of the prophecy. This was what was to happen. And then we see in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused, the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him, Not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing the multitude, one prisoner whom they'd wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, and therefore when they had gathered together Pilate and said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. He understood that these religious leaders were envying Envying of who Jesus and people were following Jesus and starting to believe what Jesus is saying. The power of envious of satanic portion. That's why we should never have envy in our lives. If you have envy of jealousy, those things are demonic. Those things will cause death. It will cause disunity and separation and tremendous problems within relationships. That's why you cannot have envy and jealousy within your life. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, here comes God, (laughs) bringing a a very wise woman in a man's life right here. Men, (laughs) listen listen to the woman that God has brought into your life here. She says to him, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to him, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. We know that in verse 27, we see that the uh, soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the uh, praetorium right there on the right corner of the temple mount, you can know exactly even today where the uh, predatorium is, and gathered the whole garrison around him. That's where the army, the temple guards would be there to protect the temple, and that's uh, where they took him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and when They had twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed, they're mocking him now, the the knee before him and mocked him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse thirty-two. Now, as they came, they fought a man of, of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that they—that is to say, place of a skull—or we were also referred to as Calvary—they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided his garments among them, for my, and for my uh, clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, we'll stop right there, and we'll continue here in the fact that, according to the Scriptures here, and as we look at this, we also know in John chapter eighteen, verse thirty-one, it says Pilate said to them, "You take him and judge him according to your law." Therefore, the Jews said to him, "It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death." <laughs> so, then why were you telling them to put them to death? You were certainly trying to, you just already went through one trial that night in secret that they weren't supposed to that night, that first night. Now, in the morning, they know they can't do this, so they're taking over to the Roman Jews, Roman uh, uh, leadership to, for them to do it so that their hands could be free and clean, supposedly, in their mind. But God sees all things, He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Nothing passes by by God. And these are religious leaders. They should have known who their God is and the characteristics of God. But we also know that in the entire eight-day festival, from the day of the Passover sacrifice to the last day of the week-long festive of unleavened bread was called the Passover. But we note here in this period That what was all the religious leaders doing besides sitting here trying to condemn and to bring our Lord to to crucifixion. What was actually happening also during this period of time because it was a high festival. It was very religious festival and they were not going to not have it. We note that Jesus was selected by the high priest Caiaphas for sacrifice. Why is that important? Why? Because Caiaphas pronounced three times that Jesus must die. We see that in John 11 and in John 18. We also know that the Gentile Roman governor pronounced him three times. Jesus is without fault. He has no blemish. We see that in John 18 as well and John 19. Why is that important? Well, Pilate bowed to the pressure... Of the religious leaders, and then stirring up the people who maybe the same people who were saying just days prior, they, they were worshiping him as king coming on the donkey and, and, and Hosea, Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, this is save us now. But then they realized that was going to happen now. They all just turned on him through the pressures of even the religious leaders. We see in Mark 15, 15, so Pilate wanting to gratify the the crowd released Barabbas to them and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. We know this is in very important timing. Why? Because Jesus was tried, condemned, and crucified on Thursday, my belief, that's my standing of the scripture, and it's referred to in the Jewish calendar as Nisan the 14th. That's important to note for you taking notes. Nisan the 14th, that day of the Jewish calendar, that we refer to in its case Thursday, was important because during the daytime festivals of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread when all righteous Jews and Jesus' many supporters were at the temple attending the ceremonial sacrificial services that were to take place that morning at 9 a.m. And if you listened on Wednesday, you understand why that was important. And the chief priests and the Pharisees had plans Jesus' arrest during this period of time when all of Jesus' followers and all of the people were their attention on the sacrificial ceremony, then no one was tracking where Jesus was and what was happening to Jesus behind the scenes. And we see that this execution was going to do it in secret until they had a smaller group of people they could spin up and get uh, Pilate and them to be able to release Barabbas. Meanwhile, in the early morning hours, as Jesus' trial was getting underway, we see Peter, if you remember back in chapter 26, verses Uh, 69 through 75, we see that when the he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, all the disciples scattered, if you remember. Peter chose to follow from behind at a distance and trying to keep an eye on his Lord. And as they took him to the governor and took him there, he finds in the story that we sit there, if you want to go back to 2669, it says, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. That's his first of three tests, if you remember. If you remember the conversation between Peter and Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to die. No, you're not. I'm going to be crucified. No, you're not. And he was passionate with them. And all the other disciples jumped in at the last, at the last moment too and also passionately said, Jesus, that will never happen to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Not happening. But what happened? Jesus said, before the crow makes that noise, you're going to deny me three times. And what do we see in the scripture? The first test was a little servant girl. You were with Jesus of Galilee. What did he say? But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. Just pass it. I don't know what you're saying. Leave me alone. So what happens next? And when he had gone out the gateway, another girl saw him. And said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. What did Peter do in verse 72? But again, he denied with an oath. Now he's serious. Before it was like, oh, why are you bothering me? Now I swear I don't know him. Now he's taking an oath. He's intensifying because he realizes it's intense moment. What happens? I do not know the man. 73 and a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. It's not about a witness one not a witness two but now what solidifies the moment is his own words testify that he's been with Jesus. And what happened? Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered. We call it conviction. Conviction. Remembered the words of Jesus, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Why? not because he was just caught in sin, no it's because he was convicted and realized he did what he said he would not do he wouldn't turn his back or deny his Lord the story doesn't end there for Peter we see the fact that on Sunday we'll see that Peter is one of the first things first people that Jesus comes and ministers one-on-one with to restore him and realize how much the Lord loves him and shows grace to him and brings him back into that fellowship, right? So we find here in the story, Pilate bowed to the pressures and said, send him to Galgotha, send him to Calvary, send him to be crucified. In Mark 15, we see the fact that the crowd was pressuring and wanted Barabbas, and they certainly did. We also, in the meantime, we see in this morning as a sequence of events that nine o'clock in the morning, that third hour Jewish time on this Thursday, this Nisan the 14th, after multiple unlawful trials that were already taking place with Jesus, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion, one of the worst and horrible, disgraceful uh, methods of capital punishment known at that time, and Jesus was crucified on the altar of the cross For us, for you, and for me. We have to note, we know here, and also in Mark 15, 25, now it was the third hour they were crucified him. So at the temple at 9 a.m., that is when the very first lamb of the daily Tamid was sacrificed and focused on atoning for sins and restoration of the relationship with God. So the Timid, the religious leaders, were doing the sacrifice. The high priest was doing the sacrifice of that perfect lamb that they selected, that the high priest picked out, selected, and was observing of that lamb. And that first one was, was sacrificed at 9 a.m. When did Jesus was selected by the high priest to be crucified? And why? at what time did that start to take place? It was commenced at 9 a.m. you get the Can you get the connection? Then the high priest made or approved of that selection of the lamb and when they went in to do the actual sacrifice of that lamb, he had to be inspected one more time to be certain that without fault or blemish it was to take place. And it had to be visible for three hours prior to the sacrifice for everyone to see that it was perfect. Perfect important to remember that Jesus died at the same time when that Passover lambs were being sacrificed fulfilling the Hebrew scripture he endured the weight of all of humanity's sin and the weight of cruelty and the weight of separation from God before Christ was led away soldiers spit on him tormented him, mocked him, pierced him with a crown of thorns. And then we find in the story that Jesus carried his own cross to Calvary. And we find as he comes out and he cannot bear the weight of the full of the, uh, the cross, the Roman soldiers got a man who was there to worship God, Cyrene. To come and pick it up, to carry the rest of the way to the top of the, uh, the hill of uh, Calvary, to Golgotha, to the, 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 the rock of the skull of rock. What a life-changing moment for that man having to not even realize he's, he's thinking he's carrying uh, the, the wood uh, uh, for some criminal. He didn't even know he was bearing a cross and picking up his cross and carrying the cross for Jesus the Savior. Historians believe this man got saved and he went back into far lands and that's where the gospel spread because of that man. We can talk about that later. But. So we see here that Jesus was on the cross for a total of six hours until the death at 3 p.m. or the ninth hour to that, uh, for the Jews. Luke 23, verses 44 through 46 says, Now it was about the sixth hour there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So you have nine o'clock for the commencement. You're going to get crucified. That starts the process of getting crucified. At noon, at the high end, a total darkness comes spreading over the entire land. Three hours later, he's, he's dead. He gave up his spirit. At that point in time, that's the total of six hours being on the cross as the scripture here talks about. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And if you know the scripture, it was torn from top to bottom. Now keep in mind that veil, I forget now, I'm drawing a blank, but the thickness of the veil, but it's many, many, many layers. It's not something, a little sheet you're tearing here. It's multiple layers, and it was from top to bottom to show that God did it. We also know that in the scripture that rock split, earthquake took place, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, voice he said to his father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last now before that took place there were seven things that Jesus said on the cross you probably know those final seven final statements from the cross The first one, Jesus said to his father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Again, in Luke 23, 34. So the very first thing that Jesus did when he was crucified and nailed to that cross, when they took his clothes and stripped him to cast lots to keep those clothes, he turned and said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's pretty significant, don't you think? But Jesus intercedes for you and for me. But if you're here listening and you don't know Jesus personally, Jesus is saying to the Heavenly Father, he or she, Father, they don't know what they do. What, what grace and what love and what mercy and long-suffering that our Lord has for those He's trying to draw to Him out of His love. Now keep in mind, I have always have to remember as we talk about this, there was two, two men with Him. Do you remember the story? The two thieves that was crucified, one on the left and one on the right with him. Remember, it's not just Jesus being crucified. There could have been more, but the two that we know of is the two thieves. But we see here, the second thing that he says is Jesus says to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because... Those two thieves were listening and watching and imagine the people were saying and spitting on them and doing all kinds of things as they were walking across the road. So here, here's Jesus up here on the cross and people were walking down the road right here at the same level, able to see right into Jesus' eyes. Many times we see pictures, he's way up high. But most of the time, we see historically, they were putting right on the side of the road so that the Jewish people could see clearly the people on the cross. Was it so far? Oh, I can't see him. What's going on? I don't know. We, no, we're talking right there. Jesus is on the cross, suffering. Two thieves on, one on the left and one on the right. They're watching and listening to the whole conversation between the Roman guards and, and the people who were watching and the spitting and all this stuff. They knew what was going on. We know in the scripture, those two guys were mocking him in the beginning and going after him. What are they doing? They're on the cross suffering too. What are you doing mocking a third person? But that's nothing new, is it not? You could be suffering today in some situation in your workplace. Or your home. Or physically you're suffering. Ask Job. And his, his buddies... On his left and his right, what are they doing? And his, even his own wife, what are they doing? Mocking. They're, they're, even your friends could be going through the same suffering at work, and the same suffering in the home, and the same suffering of tragedy, and it's amazing how they can still be mocking you in that same situation. But what took place as we know in the scripture is God reveals and the words he heard one of the thieves one of those robbers one of the ones understood that that was Jesus the Messiah Christ and right then he believed by faith and He asked, Will you remember me? And what did Jesus say? Surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The man was saved by faith and faith alone. He couldn't get off the cross and do any works, could he? He couldn't give enough tithe, gifts, and offerings, money to kind of prove that he loves God. None of it saves you. And that man proves it. The third thing that Jesus said while on the cross, he's sitting there, and he's, it's amazing the clarity. He just got brutally beaten, his beard ripped out, he's bleeding, he's crowned thorns. He has been ripped, his shreds, his back, is unrecognizable, the scripture says, he was unrecognizable to a being even a human. And if you're medical and you understand, I've had patients where they've been so swollen because of trauma, it just blows them up two to three times the size. Unrecognizable. And he sat there and he said, I have one last thing I need to do. To the disciple he loves, that's your mother, mother, now that is your son. Because in that culture, she needed to be taken care of. And he made sure the disciple that he had such a close relationship with knew that he would take care of his mother and she would be taken care of as a widow. And we find, he says, woman, behold your son. We see that in John chapter 19, verse 26. And then we see there in Matthew 27 46 we also see it in Mark 15 34 he says Eli Eli Lama I just drew a blank here Eli Eli Lama I forget now I'm drawing a blank it'll come back to me here in a minute which translates I have written down here my God my God why have you forsaken me My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because that was the very first moment that the Heavenly Father turns his back against the Son. There's a separation when sin is placed, the sin of the world is placed upon the shoulders of our Saviour. Eli Ilai Lama The fifth one was John nineteen twenty-eight. I thirst. And then John nineteen thirty, it is finished. What is finished? He's the the sin of the weight of the sin of the world has been. F- Completely placed upon everything is in order. Now he's ready to go home to be with the Heavenly Father. We see that last statement. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. We see that in Luke 23, 46. Keep in mind, they did not kill Jesus. He gave up his spirit. He's in control at all times. And he dis- determined, the father determined when that, that perfect timing was going to take place. And that happened six hours later at 3 p.m. At the time, doing what? The next lamb would be slain in the temple. The sacrificial lamb. That ninth hour Jesus breathed his last and died. And meanwhile, back in the temple, that second timid sacrifice, that lamb, that perfect lamb, was being offered at the same time. A, a sacrifice for atonement for the sins of the community and for the restoration of fellowship with God. And Jesus did it all, making a way for not only Jew, but Gentile. To be able to now make a way for them, for you and for me to be saved. It all happened at that moment. Why? Because he loves you. He desires fellowship with you. He wants to commune or communicate with you. He wants to make a way for you, not to have to go through a priest or an elder or any... No. The veil has been ripped from top to bottom. We go directly to communicate with our Heavenly Father. Why? Because Jesus made a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. Then we find it's now coming to the sundown. They only have a short period of time by 6 p.m. sundown, the start of the Sabbath. This must take place and we see a couple of men who are religious men? Who are a part of the Sanhedrin? Part of the uh, uh, the Pharisees of Pharisees of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus? They come and they boldly come out of the back of the scenes and and say, "Okay, we need to boldly come and you know to." claim Jesus's body we need he's our savior and we know in the scripture all along that Nicodemus has been meeting with him at night time we see Joseph of Arimathea was also a believer in hiding and because they understood the ramifications that could happen upon them but they were quietly being that that follower of Jesus and we find at this moment they're no longer can be secret of their their faith and they can no longer keep it hidden they don't want to be in the workplace where if you say you're a Christian then they're all going to mess with you at work no he said it doesn't matter anymore my savior is number one in my life and they go and they claim the body of Jesus and they put him and prepare as quickly as they could uh, partially you know entombing him a little bit with the wrapping of the white clo- uh, strips of cloth and, and anointing with some of the, uh, the of the uh, spices and they put him in a tomb that was hewed out for someone else Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, didn't even have his own tomb. He had to use a borrowed one, but it was given to him freely. It was temporary anyway, he only needed it for three days. And that's where we see that Friday and Saturday, I believe, is the Sabbath. Because there was two Sabbaths. There was the normal Sabbath that takes place, and there was a high Sabbath. And that's why I believe anytime you have Passover, you're followed by uh, a day of rest or Sabbath. And that follows right into a high, uh, uh, high, high Sabbath. We won't have time to talk about that tonight. But we find probably on that Friday morning beginning that Sabbath day, uh, we find that the chief priests convinced Pilate uh, that these guys took them, yes, wrapped them up, yes, put them in the tomb, yes. but they remember what Jesus taught that the, he was going to raise up on the what? Third day. And so what they did is they convinced them to have guards placed and seal that tomb so that no one could come and steal the body. And so we see that in Matthew 27, verse 62 through 66, and we also see um, that that all played out until that Sunday morning. And we'll pick back up uh, this coming Sunday morning of what happened after that.